Welcome to the RV Navigator Podcast, your RV lifestyle digital home. Visit the RV Navigator homepage at rvnavigator.com. And now, here are your hosts, Ken and Martha, podcasting from their mobile RV studio that might be parked in a campground near you. Hello, this is Ken, your RV Navigator. And Martha, the co-pilot. And we're here once again to share with you some of our RVing experiences as you travel on down the road. Today, we're going to talk about a couple of topics that uh, have piqued our interest. Number one is um, get connected to the Internet while you're on the road. We have had uh, quite a few experiences in this regard, so we thought we'd share our experiences with you and hope that you also will share your experiences with us at rvnavigator.com. Another topic uh, we plan to talk about are some gizmos and gadgets that we found, and then a little bit about travel blogging, and uh, a topic which is uh, a nice way to share some of your pictures and uh, exciting adventures with the rest of the world, your family and friends, and and anybody else who would like to look at it, and that's uh, the topic of blogging. But first... We're going to get into wireless Internet access and something that uh, is very critical these days because many people want to access the Internet while they are traveling. And, of course, even more important is the fact that they want high-speed access these days. Early in our travels, we tried to look for public libraries, which sometimes let you use a computer for an hour. And certainly some campgrounds have Wi-Fi or a computer in the main office that you can use for a limited period of time. But if you're a high-tech RVing couple, as we are, those solutions were temporary and left us less than satisfied. So we found that it was time to spend the big bucks and get connected full-time. Full-time connection on the Internet, and that's uh, key to us, I think. Uh, we have tried other th- other systems, and let me just kind of briefly go through these. The, the, the reason why I started on this topic was because uh, in the recent issue of, in the June issue, that is, of Trailer Life magazine, they have an article called Get Getting Connected. And that article uh, il- illustrates some of the ways that you can get connected, and maybe we need to talk about some of those options before we talk about exactly what we've done. Um, they talk first of all, all about uh, using wireless data cards, and uh, that's a card that fits into a PCM CIA slot of your computer. And assuming that you have a laptop uh, of fairly recent vintage, that uh, it will have this slot in it. And you plug this um, card that's about uh, 2 inches by 5 inches into it, has a little uh, half moon on the end, which is the antenna. Sometimes it has a little tiny whip antenna on it. And that card acts as a cell phone connector. So it it has a number, and it requires cell phone service. We have not tried this, but um, it it apparently does work very well, um, albeit somewhat expensive. My understanding is, is that most services charge you on the order of uh, $60 to $80 a month for uh, service. And depending on where you're camping, uh, cell phone service can be rather iffy. I know we've tried to uh, download Internet um, email on our cell phone, and if you're in the middle of the woods or in a rural area, you don't have a good signal, and this can be slow or it may not work at all. 
And we, as a matter of fact, uh, actually purchased a, an external antenna. Many of these these cards, the little antenna pops off, and you can and you can plug an external antenna, which we have mounted on the outside of our RV. Uh, that antenna costs uh, something on the order of fifty to sixty dollars, and you can buy them, frankly, at places that have. Uh, truck stop type of uh, equipment and because truckers frequently use this type of thing and they're in rural areas many times so they have external antennas uh, kind of like those big cb antennas that you see hanging off the outside of their mirrors you'll often see another one that's uh that is actually a cell phone and that it works with your regular talking cell phone as well as the data cell phone in order for these cards to work, these PCMCIA card slots, you need to have digital service. And uh, not all carriers provide digital service in all parts of the United States. As you can imagine, uh, this is also called 3G service, um, and it's also available primarily in cities. Um, there are two types of cell phone service, analog and digital. And when you get into needing data service, you always have to have a digital service. So this is uh, primarily confined to, I would say, fairly urban areas. Um, although us here in the Chicago area, as we travel out and around, we find that uh, digital service is expanding, and it's uh, quite useful uh, out quite a ways from the city. But as soon as you get off the expressways and, and into some smaller areas, uh, suddenly digital service is gone, and then your card won't work anymore. And this, as you can imagine, would be a bit of a problem. Also, these cards um, allow only one computer to be hooked up at a time. Now, this may seem... <laughs> for us, that would be a problem. Uh, now, that may seem strange, but uh, for us, that is a problem, as uh, she just mentioned, because for us, uh, we both carry a laptop, and uh, frequently we are both using the Internet service simultaneously, so having two of these cards would be just outrageously expensive. Now, uh, as an alternative, um, we have Sprint service, and I have a wire which goes between my Sprint cell phone and the USB port on my laptop computer. And this uh, allows me to connect up through fairly high-speed data to my actual cell phone without having to spend the money for this little card. Uh, this, to me, is a much more viable system because the data service on my phone can be used by my computer. Therefore, I pay really nothing extra for having my computer connected to the Internet. Um, and because I have virtually unlimited service on my cell phone, um, I can call anytime, anywhere, and um, I can have data service. And it comes in pretty fast, um, you know, not uh, cable or DSL speeds, but certainly much faster than a standard dial-up connection which are getting more and more rare these days. You might want to consider this uh, little connector that goes into the bottom of your phone. Now take a look at your phone. Flip it over, and on the bottom, mine is a Samsung, and if you flip it over, you'll see a, a rubber stopper that, hold, that covers a port on the bottom. And it's a multi-pin port, and you can buy a connector that goes between that and your computer. And then you can easily start uh, using your phone as a as a, I guess a modem is what you call it, but as an intermediary which collects the data and sends it to your computer. That works out quite well. We have had uh, good luck with that, and it uh, has worked in places like Puerto Rico and Alaska and um, any place where I have digital phone service. So we've been 
happy with that. Uh, the next one they mention in this article, as I page through it, is they talk about satellite communication. Now, understand that both of these are wireless. And so you can't just talk about wireless service because there are actually three versions of wireless Internet service. One, the cell phone that we just mentioned, and then the wireless satellite connection, and the last one would be Wi-Fi. So satellite connection requires a satellite dish. Now, you say, well, I've already got a satellite dish, so I'm all set up. Um, Unfortunately, the one that you have is only one way. It only receives signals. And as you know, you have to be able to send information up to the satellite in order for you to get information back from the satellite when you're doing Internet. So you're sending a request for a web page. That web page is being filled and then sent down to you, but you have to have some way to send it up. So satellite dishes that are Internet-ready are substantially bigger and more expensive. You can uh, get the service from DirectWay, and I'll put the links in the show notes, so uh, just refer to those to uh, to actually get uh, the the link so that you can look it up on your on your web browser. Um, but this service uh, costs about $60 a month, and you can buy two types of antennas or two types of dishes. They are substantially bigger. Um, they're a, a, about a meter in, in diameter, which is not, you know, outrageous. Um, you can buy one that goes on a tripod that you have to go out just like with um, manual satellite dishes that you'd use for TV, and, uh, but the tripod is substantially heavier, and you have to line it up in three axes so that uh, it takes you a little bit more time, but if you're going to be in a location for any length of time, it's worth it to set that up. And so it's just a matter of going out and, and doing the pointing, and they have a special gizmo to help you do the pointing. Uh, that's one way, and that costs about $1,800 for the satellite dish and the ant- uh, the antenna and the tripod and the associated wires and gizmos, uh, and then $60 a month for the service. And, of course, um, you need a couple of boxes inside the RV also. The second one, which is the one we have, uh, is totally automatic, and it's extremely cool because it mounts on the top of your RV, when you arrive in a location, you push a button, finds the satellites, and it automatically points itself, and suddenly, within 10 minutes, you have Internet. Theoretically, this is a marvelous uh, device. Uh, watching a game itself is uh, an amazing thing. But what sometimes happens is the campground um, Ooh, owner assigns you to a spot that's under a tree. Yes. And while we used to always ask for sites with trees because we like to camp in <laughs> the shade, now, now we are always asking for oh, sites yes. out in the meadow or out in the parking lot or somewhere where the trees are nowhere nearby. We always you know. have to yes, be we always in ask. line of sight with the satellites or else it doesn't work. And there have been a number of times when we have arrived in a campsite and put up the dish and it couldn't find the satellite and we would pull forward six inches, back up three feet, uh, jockey back and forth, trying to find that perfect little spot between the tree branches where the dish could find the satellites and the connection could be made. Oh, how our preferences have changed. And we are always looking for a view of the southern sky. So uh, in our case, and mostly in the southwest, about 190 or 200 degrees is where the satellites are located. So we are always looking for that little uh, piece of uh, sky real estate to point our satellite. Now, of course, the nice thing about having a tripod 
is is that you probably won't have to go through this process because you can um, actually cite and and in most campsites even you know there's always a little spot that you can you can view through the trees to get that southern horizon but with when it's mounted permanently on the top of your RV you do have to <laughs> have that uh, exactly in the right spot so uh that is a little disadvantage but boy is it nice when you're uh, bad weather or when you just pull into the site and you don't feel like messing around, you just push that button and bingo, you're on the Internet. Are you also going to talk a little bit about footprint considerations? Well, footprint considerations are interesting because um, there are a number of satellites that uh, do send out Internet. And by footprint, she means what part of the United States or what part of the world does the satellite cover that, you're, that you happen to be using. Um, and this is a consideration. Um, the DirectWay system, which we have, has a number of satellites, and they have different footprints. The one that we're using is SatMax 5, and SatMax 5 covers uh, virtually all of the United States and goes all the way down through Mazatlan, Mexico, and down the Baja, so that it has very good coverage in that area. And, by the way, the same dish will also pick up uh, your TV because we have a couple of uh, what they call bows, birds on a wire, connectors uh, that have the LNBs so that you can pick up uh, TV you know, with the same with the same uh, dish and the same pointing because they're all basically in the same part of the sky. So SatMax 5 is the one that we use because it covers uh, much of the area. This covers all the way up through New England and then, as I say, down through uh, Florida, down through Texas. But, uh, unfortunately, if you're going north, you have a bit of a problem because it stops in Washington State someplace and doesn't go any further north than that. So is it easy to switch between satellites? Uh, not really. Um, and it's not something you can do. You have to have your professional installer do it, at least that's my understanding. And so... They will always charge you for switching satellites, and there are other parameters which which change based on which satellite you happen to be using. So it's a good idea, if you're getting this installed, to talk to your installer and see which satellite you want to be using based on the areas that you want to be traveling in. So we travel south most of the time, and uh, we haven't traveled to Alaska on this particular with this particular setup, so we haven't had uh, the opportunity to <laughs> fail up in Alaska. But it did work in North Dakota. We had some trouble in Montana, Glacier National Park. Yes. And what sometimes also seems to happen when we are on the periphery of the footprint is that the aim for the Internet and the aim for the TV uh, yes. is slightly different. Yes. But because this is a big dish, one of the big, one of the advantages is, is that you can get your TV uh, in much more uh, at the fringes of the satellites, satellite footprints. So satellite TV comes in much better and uh, will pick it up um, in places that uh, the smaller dishes the smaller dishes won't. Which is why when we were on a caravan in Mexico, we were the only ones who could watch the Super Bowl, much Super to the Bowl. envy of our fellow travelers. Yes, we had the scores. Um, okay, so that's a, a definite alternative and, uh, and one which is very good. And you understand this, that uh, it works anywhere. Uh, it's not affected by clouds. It's not affected by weather, almost uh, never. And it wherever you are, boondocking, wherever you happen to be, the and you have a, a view of the southern sky, you've got connectivity. So you don't have to worry about are you near a city or cell phone connectivity or, or anything like that. 
And if the winds get really high, the dish senses it and puts itself to bed. So you don't have to worry about that either. Which has happened to us a couple of times. But you can hope that it doesn't. Although, the, the, And the dish folds down flat uh, when you're traveling so that it's only about six or eight inches high. So it really causes, it's not as high even as the air conditioners. Air conditioner. So it's not uh, an issue when you're, when you're talking about uh, any type of obstruction that might hit the roof. In, in a full so in a manner so that there's nothing that would stick up that would catch on things like a clamshell like a clamshell and then of course uh, more and more popular these days is uh, wi-fi uh, wi-fi is once again the, the third type of of internet connectivity but wi-fi has to be provided by uh, some local provider so you're dependent on on the campground or the Starbucks or whatever it happens to be, wherever you are that has Wi-Fi. Now, to, in order to receive Wi-Fi, your computer has to have a Wi-Fi card in it. Now, if it's older, it would it would be the same slot, the PCMCA card slot, that holds the uh, cell phone card. So you can't use both, uh, but you could slip one in at one time and take it out and put it in the other one but they're entirely separate systems and wi-fi uh you need uh it's a short distance service and the access points uh, where the signal originates um will transmit on the order of 300 feet um now we were down in texas last winter and while we were in Texas, uh, they were installing Wi-Fi in the campground. We So we had a pretty good, it was Tango, uh, and we had a pretty good view of what they were doing. And they put some fairly tall masts on some of the more permanent buildings with uh, an omnidirectional antenna on it. And they were going to give coverage to everybody in the campground. Now, the campground was about 1,500 people, 1,500 sites, shall I say. They had uh, four towers where we were we could hardly get the wi-fi now we of course had our satellite so we were kind of unique in that area but of course i'm always interested in trying out these things and and it was the talk of the campground uh they were charging by the month um for the wi-fi service um this is obviously going to be um a a profit-making operation for most campgrounds uh they were charging on the order of 25 dollars a month which is not too bad for for internet service but at the campsite where we were, we could hardly receive it. So Wi-Fi depends on distance from the antenna and, frankly, the orientation of your computer, um, how the antenna is set up in your computer. So you might take your computer and just uh, twist it around and, and walk just a little bit, and, and, and you might get a better signal because it's, it's, Wi-Fi is prone to shadows. Anything uh, that's in the way would uh, interrupt the signal. So it might be just a really a small change on your part will get you a good signal. And am I remembering correctly, your laptop has a metal case and mine has a plastic Do case. Do we want to talk about that? And even that <laughs> was a difference in terms of our uh, Wi-Fi yes. signal reception. Laptops that have built-in Wi-Fi, and if you have a Centrino chipset, it is built-in automatically, um, or most Macintoshes are also built-in. Hers has the antenna around the top of the screen, so that when you open up the screen, the antenna, uh, you can't see it, it's built into it, but it's but it's around the top. So it has a, actually a very good antenna, and uh, it has very good receiving power. And once again, this is a two-way signal, so you have to be able to send as well as receive um, in terms of speed, let's see. 
I would rate these as um, Wi-Fi is probably the highest speed, and satellite is probably next, and cell phone is probably third in most cases. For most of uses that we have, it's high speed enough so that you can you can connect up. Um, from yeah, my perspective, speed has really become an issue when I've been uploading photographs, well, um, anything that issue. takes a lot of uh, data. But for simple email going back and forth, even the slowest method was satisfactory, in my opinion. Yes, I would agree with you. And so we haven't had any, any real issues with that. Now, the satellite allows us to have more than one computer connected simultaneously. Wi-Fi, in most situations, they will provide you with a single account, and when you... When you open your browser, you'll see a name and password, and they, they will only allow one computer on at a time. And, of course, the cell phone um, probably has to be set up uniquely for that particular service, so you'll only be able to use the phone card in one computer uh, without making some, some fairly major changes. In the show notes, I will include some of the uh, the links that are provided in this article, but um, I think that pretty much covers uh, the c- kinds of systems. Um, and, but, you know, we're very interested in hearing what you have to say, and uh, we would appreciate an email and hearing uh, your experiences with connecting to the Internet. We Well, of course, and we didn't even mention uh, just standard old dial-in. Some campgrounds have a... a phone line that you can dial in. I don't know. Most people, I don't know if they use that. Another choice is pocket mail. Pocket mail is a little device which um, hooks up to a standard phone and has very slow uh, internet service but allows you to get your get, to get email on a pocket mail account. The device is about $100 and um, the monthly service is quite reasonable. So uh, that's an alternative. Um, one of the couples that accompanied us on our trip in South Africa, also had uh, pocket mail, which they were able to use in South Africa, which kind of surprised me. And that's an 800 number, so basically once you've got the account and the device, the email is uh, is free. There's no phone charges to go with that. Now, of course, if you have a Wi-Fi-enabled laptop, it is entirely feasible for you to go to various places that have... Uh, that have wireless service, uh, Wi-Fi service, and uh, we have searched these out um, and found them to be quite satisfactory. For instance, Panera Bread has free Wi-Fi access in all of its uh, restaurants throughout the country, as far as I know. We have gone to various coffee shops, but if you go to Starbucks, you're going to pay. So you got to. <laughs> this seems like it's a market which is uh, in in transition, so it's very hard to tell where you're going to find free wireless and where you're going to have for fee wireless. Most airports where we've been, um, it's a fee, but uh, it ranges dramatically. And we've paid from $10 an hour down to $2 an hour. So who knows how much it's going to cost you when you go and and try to connect at an airport. But they almost all have uh, Wi-Fi. And we purchased a little Wi-Fi a Wi-Fi detector, which is a little gadget that you can um, put on your keychain, and when you press the button, it tells you whether there is active Wi-Fi in the area, so you know whether or not to uh, to get out your laptop and see if there's a connection. Much too technical. So we'll turn it over to another very interesting topic, and that's how to keep in touch with your family and friends as you travel down the road. Now, one thing you can do, of course, is send them each an email and uh, tell them about your travel adventures. 
I was going to go back even farther than Ooh. that. I was remembering many years when I would stop and Ooh, buy postcards. postcards. Oh, yes. And stamps. And I would write one postcard, and then oh, I'd end up copying yes. the same message to yes. two or three more. And it, it was is, rather tedious. And we even had labels so that you could have them all ready so to go. So I wouldn't have to right. know all yeah, the addresses. Yes. And then, of that. course, we went to email, but the same problem occurred. I was yeah. writing pretty much the same message over and over again. After the personal opening and closing of the email, it was pretty much the same old stuff, and it got boring and tedious, and I got tired of it. And we were taking all these wonderful pictures that I wanted to share with friends and family, and there was no way to do that until we got home. So that's what really got me interested in blogging. Um, as you doubtless know, blogging is a way of putting things that you write and photographs and even short films on the Internet so that friends and family can see what you've been up to. The first site that I used I found somewhat dis unsatisfactory for my travel purposes because many people blog uh, politically and current events and just what's going on in their lives at home. And I was interested in uh, travel blogging. And when we were on our caravan in Mexico, many of my friends didn't really know exactly where we were. You know, I mentioned names of small towns and little bays, and, and they didn't know where those places were. And I thought, wouldn't it be nice to have a blog that also includes a map so I could route um, our trips as we traveled and people could see exactly where we were. And this is what led me to MyTripJournal.com, which is a My wonderful... MyTripJournal.com, one word. Which is a wonderful blogging website specifically designed for travelers. Um, I have a premium subscription, which costs $90 a year, and I am able to put up as many pictures and as much writing as I wish and it also allows me to archive my pictures on their servers and download it when I get home which is something that I don't do but could be an advantage to you and every day as we travel um, I mark our new location on the map and I have the opportunity to write as much or as little as I want and to include um, as many of the photographs that we've taken that day as I want uh, the photographs do need to be manipulated somewhat um, because you don't want them to be six or seven megapixels in size. It would take forever to upload. So I do use another piece of software on my laptop to make them a smaller size. I would think this would be the same process you should go through whenever you e email a picture to somebody so that it's not too big for them to download and open up and view. And uh, I have found this website uh, very easy to use, very accommodating. Um, when I'm doing it in our RV with the satellite dish, the uploading of the pictures takes considerably longer than it does at home. And sometimes I find it easier to upload one or two pictures at a time. Uh, but we've even done it on cruise ships, and it works just fine. So I am a real fan of MyTripJournal.com. The other feature of this website, which you might enjoy even if you don't want to blog yourself, is that they warehouse uh, best-of blogs that other people have written. And if you're thinking about uh, taking a trip to uh, Washington State, you can go on MyTripJournal.com and research other people's blogs who have also gone to Washington State and get some travel ideas and um, thoughts about where to go and what to see and do. 
So um, I find that this blog site in particular is a wonderful resource for travelers, and I'm a real fan, as you can tell. And she uses it, of course, for both our RV trips as, as well as for our other trips. And so um, she has uploaded from all sorts of uh, foreign locations and found it uh, possible to update it uh, almost daily, no matter where we are in the world. And, of course, it's also designed for people who are not as well-equipped as I. You can uh, put your pictures on a flash drive and go to an Internet cafe and do your writing in the cafe um, and upload your pictures from there so you don't have to carry around a lot of equipment in order to do this. The entire interface is all web-based so that the whole thing can be done on the web without any extra software. So no matter what venue you're in doing Internet, you can update your your my trip journal site and i've also really enjoyed since some of my blogs are best of sites uh they are permanently on my trip journal and other people have read them and written me emails people yes. that i don't know that yes. are friends or Very family cool. and um, it's fun to hear from people all over the country all over the world who are reading your blog and interested in what you have to say you also are able to um house these email comments on your website and make like a scrapbook of them so people can see what other people had to say about your site. So it it turns it into a real online travel community, which is immensely appealing. And I think maybe we should talk sometime about the, some of the RV resources on the web or some of the travel resources that we use to to get good information as we travel because that certainly is crucial in how to share that information. But but mytripjournal.com is a great website if you're if you're and they have a free version. Is, yes, they have a 45 day trial version, so you ooh. can um, try it out on your first trip and see if you like to do it. And and I want to say that um, the good blogs don't just write about what you had for dinner. Uh, you you want to try to share things that would be of interest to other people that are unique about the area, uh, that aren't necessarily real personal to how you spent the last 24 hours. Uh, you really have to think about your audience as you're writing and try to make it entertaining for them. Because I really enjoy when people write me back and say, you only wrote three paragraphs about that and I wanted to know more. Because uh, that's how you want to leave your audience, wanting to know more. And it is exciting to get email from people that you don't know who read your, your stuff and, and found it interesting to, as a read. So um, that's that makes it all worthwhile. Another site that I'd like to point you to that uh, offer that's uh, new to me and uh, is quite interesting is uh, Flickr Map. Now, Flickr is a great website for storing your photos, and they have been for quite a long time. If you're not using Flickr, you might want to take a look at it. Uh, that's F-L-I-C-K-R.com. And uh, Flickr is a website that stores photos. But they've recently added a new feature called Flickr Map. And <laughs> this is... This just uh, almost is too much to believe. But basically what Flickr Map does is you put in the cities um, and it automatically puts your pictures uh, on a map of the uh, in the cities where you took them. And so that virtually any place in the world you can you can click on your pictures and see what pictures you took in that city or somebody else can also, which is also cool. So it doesn't have blogging capabilities, but it's kind of like a blog of your photos and it's connected with Google earth. And I hope that you have given Google earth a try because Google earth is extremely cool because it allows you to see aerial photographs of what they say is 20% of the world, but it's virtually all of the United States so that you can fly 
over parts of the United States using Google Earth. And Google Earth, um, you can get right down to um, very low levels so that you can see your house and your garage and the stuff in your backyard, or you can see uh, tourist destinations. And what's also very nice is, is that now with Google Earth and Flickr Maps is, is that Flickr Maps will put your pictures onto Google Earth, and as you're flying over, pictures of that you took will pop up on the screen. This is partially free. Um, you can get a free version of this, or you can get the um, the twenty dollar a year version, which allows you to put in uh, many more pictures, and it allows you to have routes so that you can see. Uh, where your trips took you. <laughs> what a cool site. What a cool way to display your pictures. Now, this can be linked to, to my trip journal by putting in a little bit of HTML code, which they give you, so that a person who's using my trip journal can click on a link and it will take them to the pictures that dealt with that particular destination. That is extremely nice to see. Okay, so. A lot of technology here, but we wouldn't want to leave you without uh, a couple of cool new things. And uh, I found one which has solved a problem f that I've had for years. <laughs> this is kind of low-tech, but it's actually kind of high-tech, too, because this is a gizmo which connects up to the water faucet at a campground, and you always have leaky faucets, don't you? And it always takes you half an hour to screw the the hose onto the connector, and then it leaks, and blah, 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 blah. Well, this is a quick connect for the hose at the campground. So what it is, it's got a, uh, you, you press it on, and then you pull a collar up, and it fits it over the connector. And uh, it provides a very good connection <laughs> almost instantly for connecting your water system to the campground. And it will connect over water hoses that are, or water you know, faucets that are not quite perfect or not, uh, that have damaged threads or whatever. So, because it doesn't, you don't really screw anything onto it. You just fit it over it and, and, and it tightly fits over the connector, which is very nice. And that you can find at a cool website called Coil and Wrap. Now, they have a lot of other nice things, uh, Velcro connectors and all sorts of, of uh, other gizmos that uh, us RVers would find uh, pretty interesting. C O I L N W R A P dot com. I will, of course, put that in the show notes too so that you can see it. But you can order these things. They're less than $10. And you can put it right onto your hose and just leave it there because whether the, the connector at the campground has threads or doesn't have threads or whatever it has, you can just pop this puppy on there and in a 15 seconds or less, you're connected up with water and it doesn't leak which is also an important thing now another thing to go right along with that is the hose that i recently started using hoses are always a problem because you go they're always hanging around and uh, how do you wind them up and i don't usually buy stuff off the 800 number that they have on, on late night tv but this said um wind-up hose that doesn't collapse and doesn't need to be unwound fully in order for you to use the hose. Now, I have had one, you know, one of those flat kind of fabric hoses that uh, you, know, you get 50 feet in a coil, but you have to unwrap the whole thing in order to use it, and then it kind of coils around and messes. It gets kind of messy. So what this one is, is a... It's got three vinyl tubes through it, and when you wind it up, it doesn't collapse. 
so that no matter how much hose you need, you just unwrap as much as you need, and bingo, the rest of it stays coiled up on the on the holder. Now that is a real benefit, and uh, we have had very good success with that guy too. And uh, that's on <laughs> as seen on TV website. So uh, give that a try if you're looking for a solution to your water problems. So we've had two solutions to water problems. We've hoped we've helped you. And we hope that you'll stay in touch with us. Uh, we have two ways of keep staying in touch with us. One is uh, by email at navigator at rvnavigator.com. And two, through our website. So we hope that you'll go visit the website at rvnavigator.com. So for now, this is Ken, your RV Navigator. And Martha, the co-pilot. And we'll be signing off and hope to hear from you soon. See you down the road. <laughs>